Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Hey there, this is Sharon. I'm in Washington, D.C. at Mid-Year Assembly, and unfortunately, Jeremy couldn't join me here at the meeting. However, listeners, I have been joined by one of our new guest co-hosts, Tracy Castleman. Tracy's been a longtime friend of mine. You guys have heard her name many times on this podcast, and she's been on it before. And she's one of the group that I affectionately call the Fab Four. Tracy, thank you for joining me. Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself before we kick off our topic today? Well, thank you, Sharon, for letting me join you. Jeremy, sorry you can't be here, but she is fortunate for sorry, me. Sorry, not sorry. She's yes. <laughs> to be here. I am a practicing CRNA. I started in the great state of New York where um, I grew up. I am a graduate of the Albany Med program from some fabulous ladies who ran our program. I moved down to Jersey where I raised my two sons and ran the the gambit of leadership there up to state president. Currently, I help run the meetings where we do quite a bit of advocacy work in our state educational meetings. And we have a fabulous forum for our students to give their, um, to disseminate their knowledge, our DMP students. I run the charitable arm of NJANA, which I think we're the only states that have yes, that. Yes, you are. Far as and I know. I've done a couple of things on the state level and community, committee work, and I'm here too at this mid-year assembly, my very favorite meeting of the year. And I'm just glad to be involved in this particular podcast because it's a mm. great chance to get to meet somebody who is working for us. Yes. So, um, Ingrid, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and tell about your new role with the AANA? Sure. Welcome. Thank you so much for welcoming me today. Um, my name is Ingrid Lucis. I'm the Deputy Chief Advocacy Officer here at the ANA. And um, I've been in this role since January, so I'm still learning a lot um, mm -hmm. about the profession. But I have been in government affairs for many, many, many years, and I have worn multiple hats. I've done grassroots, I've done regulatory work, I've been a chief lobbyist, and I've also worked in the state advocacy role. So um, I'm really excited to bring my depth of expertise to, to the association. And most recently, I was the vice president for policy and government affairs at the ANA, American Nurses Association. Mm. So in my role here, um, we are taking federal government affairs and state government affairs and, and, and putting them all under one umbrella so that we can have a more cohesive um, approach to advocacy 
where we're really looking at everything from how everything's run both at the state and federal level and where we can really strengthen those ties to to enhance our advocacy moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's brilliant. It is. I like that. Well, you know, there's only so many fights at the federal level. It it, winds it all comes up back to it all comes state. back to home. Absolutely, it does. So, who else have you lobbied for outside of the ANA? So um, I have lobbied for, um, prior to my healthcare years, I worked for the American Public Power Association in the beginning of my career, but then moved over to the healthcare where I've worked for the American Physical Therapy Association, uh-huh. the American Chiropractic Association, the American Speech Language Hearing Association, and like I said, most recently with the ANA. Oh my goodness, that's quite a route. Yes, it is. Taken. So you alluded to the fact that you worked at the state level. Where are you from? So I'm from Virginia, but oh. um, I am a uh, I'm originally from Ohio. So I am a Ohio State Buckeye. So mm-hmm. go box. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, came here very, very early in my career. My my um, parents are from a small country called Latvia. So my oh. first. Um, when I dipped my toe first into advocacy, it was with the Joint Baltic American National Committee as an intern. And I interned there um, working in the Senate on Baltic freedom advocacy and fell in love with advocacy and stayed. Mm. I work with a CRNA from, now help me say Lat- it. Latvia. Latvia. Yes. Interesting. Never really heard about it. And then I, I'm working with a CRNA and now here there you, you are. There you go. Here you are. So what's been one of the biggest surprises coming over to work? Uh, within the AANA. Besides how demanding we are. Yes. Oh, I have actually thought that that you all are just so welcoming and just so enthusiastic about advocacy. Um, I love the um, energy of the students coming here. Mm -hmm. I love that everybody is so understanding of the importance to give to a political action committee. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, you just wait till the party tomorrow night. I can't wait. This will be your first party (laughs) This will be my first party. And so I think that just the excitement and the will to want to advocate is so, I just love it. It's a, it's the energy is wonderful. Well, you are getting, this is the meeting of the movers mm-hmm. and the shakers. Yes. I've always said, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where, um, I love this. Meeting. That's why I love to come here just to soak it up. I am not a rubber hits the road, but I like to listen to the people who are, um, I do come home from this meeting energized. You are seeing a small percentage, right? Of yes. us, but you're yes. seeing the people who want to be here. Absolutely. Um, I do think we are unique in nursing groups in that sense that we do understand advocacy a little bit more and and um, we understand how it drives our profession or stops our profession. And I think that also, I mean, you have this roadblock that has been so hard to get past in terms of <laughs> well, uh, an interesting you know, dead cow in the road yeah, yes. uh, yeah you yeah. know trying to be politically yes. here, but, but you, you are know, a it, lobbyist it, right? it, it is it, you know it, and that's something that really intrigued me about coming here is I love a good challenge and I want to find ways that we can start to really chip away um, you know let's get to the answers and I think that the public health emergency and having the access to care is going to help us with our messaging um, Mm -hmm. on supervision and on Mm -hmm. full scope. And I think that, um, you know, as we're starting to see some of the workforce shortages, I think that Congress is starting to see that there is an importance to really allowing individuals to practice to their full scope um, and also looking at the arbitrary barriers to care. Um, What do you see as some of our own self-made barriers to getting a seat at the table? I mean, have you been here long enough to, (laughs) I I mean that seriously, have you been here long enough? Have you had some first impressions of saying, geez, these people really are missing the boat or. um... So I think, you know, some of the things when I came in, um, you know, I even heard it from my 
my team, it was like, oh, well, you know, certain folks have made this a toxic issue, right? And we kind of sensed that we, we believe that it's toxic. So when we go into a meeting, we're like, ah, oh, they're not going to like us or they're, they're going to kind of, you know, it's not going to work because this congressman is just going to think it's toxic. And I think we've got to get away from that toxicity. It's mm-hmm. not, we're not, it's, this isn't a toxic issue. Only one organization has made this a toxic issue. You are so right. And, mm-hmm. and so how do we go in there with, you know, our heads held high saying we don't, we shouldn't be proving ourselves anymore. You know, we've proved our worth. We've proved it over and over. It's time for the other side to start proving why. Right. And I don't Ooh, think we've I ever like, had that. I love that. I love turning the, I like the tables. That. Recently, there was an op-ed in New Jersey um, uh, by the now vice president of the NJSSA talking about, you know, the whole, the whole rube of, um, you know, um, why physicians need to be there and the value of physician supervision. And he actually went so far as to say nurses aren't trained as critical thinkers. Oh, my Lord. Um, and he went on and on. And he tried to be respectful. That was probably the most disrespectful thing. But it was more about why these physicians need to be, have their finger in on the pulse of every patient. And it's my former chairman, who was the one who opened up all the different places in the hospital, the four corners, the deep rest recesses of the hospital that he wanted CRNAs to work in. All that by were themselves. Elevators, stairwells, buildings away. And um, I was so disappointed in that language that I keep itching to write, uh, like, let's pull the curtain back now. Again, the smoke and the mirrors, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But I know that's toxic. But how do we do that? How do we, I think, I like what you're saying. Let's have them prove. And I think it is. It's, it's you know, when you look, you know, when you've, ta- when I've talked to, I haven't talked to a lot of you, um, but, you know, I was talking to, to a few um, CRNAs in the military, and they are on the front lines. Yeah, they're the and only they're ones. And they're the only ones there. They might even be supervising um, an anesthesiologist. And yet, when they walk off the base, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, you can't. Well, yeah, we can, right? And so, I, again, I think it's that we've got to go on the offense. I think that the one thing that, you know, and again, I haven't been here that long, but it seems like we've been playing whack-a-mole um, in, on the mm-hmm. defense. And I, I yeah, would really love have. for us to yes, be we have um, for years. more aggressive and in, in a respectful way. But how do we start to say, no, you, we've proved our worth. It's time to move on. It's time for us to say, you know, during we had three years during the pandemic where we were put on the front lines, we were doing our work, we had waivers, nothing happened, everything, you know, we were able to do our jobs. So why are we going back to pre-COVID when we've already done that? So I think think the pandemic pushed this issue further down the line. If we're good enough during a pandemic, we're good enough any other time. I know whenever I have been in the the position of lobbying, I always say, you know, just like the military, their IQ doesn't fall just because they come back across the big pond to the United States. And what they could do yesterday with gunfire above them, they can't do today with everything they need. But that's, it's the same thing. They won the battle between, they're not on the field where... I think the statistic is if a soldier makes it to a field hospital alive, they have a 95% right. chance of surviving, but we're going to kill them at the VA during their their um, colonoscopy, right? Oh, but wow, that's good, right? Yeah, but COVID was a war on our mm-hmm. own soil. Yes. So why do we believe that it's that just because we proved ourselves that we're going to keep moving legislation forward because we've already lost it 
we're still fighting it for the veterans. It would make more sense. Does that make sense to what I'm trying to say? We've lost it. You just said in Afghanistan or Iraq or any of these other places, they are more than able, willing and invited and sent to give anesthesia unsupervised, but they're not back here. And I think some of the language we use, I was just thinking as you were saying, if, we, yeah. if we're good enough, right? Mm-hmm. No, we are good. We know that. And we, we shouldn't be saying if we're good enough. We should, you know, we should oh, start that okay. rhetoric of, okay. of we are. We are trained. We are educated. And we have proven ourselves time and time. But rather than, I, I think you know, I've noticed nurses tend to do that a little bit. You know, we're right. just a nurse or we're just this or we're just this. And I think we've got to get past that that, that rhetoric um, and move on to being, no, we are trusted members of the, the healthcare team and we are going to lead teams and we need to be practicing to our, our full scope and we are trained and educated mm-hmm. to do that. And I think we come in with a stronger voice. We just have to be a little bit more aggressive in our approach. I totally agree with you. I've always said in PR, when we were talking about um, media spokesperson, I never say we train from the same books. I always flip it around. They, they use the same books that I do. They train at the same sites that I do. They're using the same techniques that I do. I never say that I'm like them. I try and say that they are like me. Uh, and it seems to me that the language there would be the trained leaders on the field to keep you alive are being prevented from providing you care, are being prevented from increasing access to care here. And so then it's, it's they're the trained leader and the mass unit, but somebody's keeping them from providing you good care here. Yeah. And oh, that's good. And yeah. I think it, and they're arbitrary rules. I mean, they're just really arbitrary and they're political. I mean, this is where, I mean, if you really look at scope of practice, you know, it's done at the state legislature and there's politics involved. Mm-hmm. So it's not really about what you are trained and educated to do. It's what politics has, again, an arbitrary yeah. barrier based on politics. It's, it's to me, it's heartbreaking in the VA because, um, the very people who are ensuring our way of life are not able to get the care they need because we have two people doing one job. Not, it, it doesn't even closely mirror academia, private practice, nothing. You have such redundancy that's allowed and encouraged, which shuts down OR schedules, which backs up care. Um, and I'm not, I, I still don't understand why that's not part of the conversation. That's not highlighted trumpeted, paraded. And I think that we're looking at that. We're looking at the messaging as we move forward. Um, you know, one of my teammates was like, you know, at what cost? At what cost are we doing this? You know, we, we have veterans who are going without care. We have veterans who need mental health services, and yet they're waiting in lines. They're waiting, and the, the, the resources are not there. And yet we're looking at a practice model that is not efficient. It is not the best use. And so how do we start looking and changing that narrative, um, again, to saying this isn't the this is an old way of doing things. This isn't the way we should be doing things. In the, and, and how do we do this in a cost-effective manner that really does look at the patient first mm-hmm. well, going and politics back to second? What you were saying, why can't we ask the question, why not? Yes, I love that. I mean, why not? This whole issue about getting full practice authority in the VA started whenever. I was president, and we thought, well, actually, it probably started a little bit in Dennis's year, and then I come in in 14 to 15. We thought we were going to put that to bed by before my presidency was over, and here we are in 2023, and we're still having the same conversations. 
same conversations and we had all of the military groups behind us I, I i was flying to washington constantly and nobody said no they were all behind us and here we still are so instead of it should be why not what is your rationale for not giving us full practice authority exactly make them tell it make them say it make yeah, them name it i mean you know Show the and, proof <laughs> and i understand that that there's politics involved um I ran for the state house in North Carolina and lost because the anesthesiologist opened a super PAC and all of that. And now the chair of health care in North Carolina is the one I ran against that the ologist gave him a quarter of a million dollars. Yep. Yeah. So, I, you know, we get the politics, but I like what I'm hearing you say um, in, instead of why not. I think that's what you're saying. So. Uh, address the elephant in the room yes. is what we need to do but, but you know what uh, kind of tying this into something uh, that you said whenever you first got in here and tell us what your name means oh so um, my name my name is Ingrid Lucis and uh, my parents are from Latvia and so Lucis actually means lynx or bobcat <laughs> all right <laughs> we got us the bobcat yes we people. do Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Other than... Um unleashing the power of our DC office, which really does represent us well. Um, I think we're very fortunate to have mm -hmm. all the people who work for us and represent us. Um, what are other ways that the ANA can start looking at um, to give us the CRNAs the power other than running for office, which fortunately a few are, but it's not easy to do depending on the state you are in. And we don't necessarily want to pull CRNAs out of the workforce right now because there's not enough of them. What are other ways that we haven't looked at. I keep looking at um, the anesthesiologists, as I've said, playing the long game. They've done a really good job of getting themselves into key positions across the board, whether it's in your hospital, in your town, in your state, federally. We saw that with the Surgeon General during COVID. How do we get there? How do we put ourselves in the same seats? Because that's where the decisions are being made. So I think, you know, there's it's twofold. Um, one of it is a lot of these... Um, our political appointments. Mm -hmm. And so we do have to start looking um, politically, you know, getting involved. And, and the PAC is very important, but you also have to get involved in your own local politics. Mm -hmm. And um, whether that be within the party or helping your current, you know, whatever, or even politics at the hospital level and you know getting involved joining committees starting to show that you you know you can be a leader um, in that community but I also think as we were talking earlier that um, we need to really make sure that our CVs are up to to what is what we're looking for so if you're applying for something make sure that your CV you know addresses that we, we think that's a really yeah that should be what you're doing but I've seen a lot of you know people applying for government jobs where 
they're not really talking about perhaps the that they're into value-based payment or they they know about um, quality or outcomes and so really how do you start to enrich that um, that experience to show that you can do what you're doing but a lot of it does come back to politics and who you know so mm. if I was a CRNA who wanted to get involved didn't know how to improve my CV or how to use the language is there um, a place on the website or somebody to call is that something that might we might develop? I think it's going to be something to develop. Um, I, again, as I came from the American Nurses Association, and we saw that across the board, too, as we were looking at some of the committees and boards. I think also, um, you know, having a robust list from what to choose from as well. Right. Um, you know, we also have opportunities to um, perhaps get uh, folks to testify before Congress or, or maybe before a panel. But a lot of times they'll be like, well, we're looking from somebody from the Midwest. Mm. They've got to be in this demographic. They've got to have this much experience or, you know, they're either in a supervisory role or they're not. And then you've got to scramble and you've got 24 hours to find them. And that's also very difficult. So I think that even coming up with a list of folks who are willing to testify or have that experience that we can start to choose from is going to be critical. So what I'm hearing is that if you feel like you are qualified, send the CV to you guys. I mean, you're new to this role. We've had other people in your role who were had been around for a while and who knew the membership and could just pick up the phone and come up with that. And I do know whenever I was AANA president, I would always be getting from the D.C. office that I had to sign off. They were recommending mm-hmm. a CRNA for a commission post or or whatever. But would it be helpful? Or and I don't want to inundate you <laughs> or anything. If if CRNAs who have a skill set would send you their CVs. I mean, I can't guarantee anything, but if they want to send them to me, certainly. Because I see that that might be a disadvantage for you. That might be a disadvantage for you not to know the players yet. You're going to know the players. I'll learn them, yes. I know you will. (laughs) Whether you want to or not. (laughs) We're, We're good about that. But I don't know. Maybe that might be helpful. Yeah, it might be a way to start to learn and to see who's out there in in terms of. So let's talk about the the white elephant that's always there. Tell us why (laughs) supporting the pack is so important, and how every CRNA should be, and why they should be. What's what's the bang? So right now, um, you know, the ASA pack is probably the largest Mm -hmm. um, pack, which means that they get more access, quite frankly. Um, And so um, really the importance of the pack is, you know, I I love what my team says. It's it's, it's about um, the the powerful, the pals and and the potentials, right? And so, you know, being able to be at the table um, with the key players, um, not just once for one pack event, but really being able to, um, you know, contribute at that those levels where we can be at multiple events and gain those, gain those friendships, gain that trust, gain gain the, um, and I don't want to say access because that doesn't sound right, but it's it's about really building relationships. And so, you know, as we look at that, and you know, we look across the the, the spectrum of all that we need to be doing, having a robust pack 
gets to set the table. And, you know, we've said this, and I'm sure you've heard it too, that if you're not at the table, you're going to be at the menu, mm-hmm. on the menu. Mm-hmm. And so if we have a larger pack, we can do more. Um, we can really be that player, um, that powerful player. Now, we are the largest nursing health care pack, um, but we'll really need to, you know, continue to bump that up to, to really start to compete with Can you put others. it in perspective? Round numbers. Oh, I don't, have number those, I don't have those numbers. Used, in front they of me. used to be about three times as big I, as, I, our, uh, as yeah. our pack. But, you know, whenever you're saying a, a seat at the table and showing up and being there, because as a candidate, it as a previous candidate, it is important that people donate to your vision. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, for the future. And whenever I would be up here, uh, in, um, here, meaning D.C., when I was president, we would go to several fundraisers whenever I would be in town. And so it would put me up there front and center. I'll never forget going to one for Paul Ryan. And, yes, he is as good-looking in person <laughs> as he was. But it was, the beer and wine wholesalers have their own yeah. condo up here, townhome or whatever, and they have um, – they have fundraisers there. So, of course, he's surrounded. So I just pushed my way in there, and I said, hello. I said, I'm Sharon Pierce with the nurse anesthetist. I give another kind of anesthesia because <laughs> um, we're in the beer and wine. Mm. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> he got it. <laughs> I missed the whole beginning part. <laughs> I got out. it. No, you I got it, but I didn't about I didn't how all this looking I bet a few listeners didn't draw it, too, or I'm just the dumb one. So, but that's the importance of the pack because those things, the fundraisers do cost. And I think that it's also the, you know, again, as I was saying, it's the DC, it's an inside DC, but you know, when you give a certain amount, you get to go to a certain amount of events. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when the intimate and the, or the intimate so or the, intimate. yes. <laughs> and so that's where you really get to know the members and the chief of staff and have that opportunity to have that one-on-one deeper conversation um, versus when you're, you know, we call them cattle calls when, you know, everybody's just in the room and you just get a high, how's it going? Right. And, and you move on. And you get so, to watch it on TV as opposed to sitting next yeah. to them. Yeah. yeah. So if every, how many members do we have now? Close to 60,000. So if every member donated $500 a year. Oh my Lord, that's a big number. We would uh, be probably the largest. We could compete with the We NSA. could compete. $500 if everybody out there, that's two hours of work a year. I know that and you know that. You know, I will say that I think, unfortunately, you know, we do have folks that are like, oh, you know, pack. But I think that, again, it's it's but the they way. They like to work. They, they like, like to work. They like to collect right? a paycheck. They do. And, um, I had, and I just had a student ask me about this. They're like, well, you know, you all give to maybe a party that I don't like, right? Oh, good God. And, I and so, no, but, you know, I, 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 I said, you know what, you know, again, we need to make friends. We need to build a bench on both sides, sides. of the aisle because Absolutely. we never know who. Um, and, and they, you know, and we just want to make sure that we're, we're making sure we have friends on both sides. But every one of us comes to work every day and we have to take off our personal political mm-hmm. hat. Mm-hmm. And we can go and we can work a campaign for the candidate of our choice. But when we are working and supporting CRNAs, 
we have to take off that political hat and be nonpartisan in our work. And so that's where, you know, when you when you giving to the pack, it may not be, well, I don't want you to give to this party or this party. We have to stop thinking that way. Mm-hmm. We have to start thinking that we are giving to promote the profession so that we can get rid of nondiscrim, we can have full practice authority. And then Go and do your own political, um, you know, support the candidate. We're not saying you can't support the other candidate. Support the candidate at best, at you home. know, at home. But let us do what we need to do because as a lobbyist, we are working with our consultants. We're working, looking at the crystal ball and saying, we don't really have enough friends here. We need to make more friends here um, in order to, to pass legislation and be, be effective. It's no different than us as CRNAs. When a patient comes on the table, you don't give them better or worse anesthesia based on their political affiliation or their life choices necessarily. You take care of a person. Yeah. And you're taking care of a profession, whoever is going to do that. So what did you think of our organization from the outside whenever you were looking at this job versus what you found once you're on the inside? So I had the opportunity um, working at the ANA to really work closely with the lobbyists um, at ANA prior to. So, um, you know, we've, we've developed a good working relationship among the, the, mm-hmm. um, the lobbyists. And so I was really excited. Um, you know, I love a good challenge. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, I saw that there were some really, there's some challenges um, that we need to overcome. And, and, you know, I love a good fight. And so for me, this was an opportunity to really just kind of go in and, and how do we be a little bit more aggressive? How do we, you know, reshape the, the narrative, um, especially after COVID, where I think we're going to have the opportunity to do that because of workforce shortages. And just again, the rules change during COVID and the rules should not go back. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing you talking a lot about messaging. So I'm looking forward to hearing the messaging going forward because this is the meeting where we come to to get our message that we take to the Hill. Well, we're, we're working on messaging um, and uh, more to come. I think, you know, uh, the messaging this week may not be, sure. you know, or this week may not be uh, exactly where I want it to be. But um, I would just say. Uh, well, we're, this is only April. This is only April. So and you just January, February. <laughs> <laughs> you had to had to be able to find your uh, office and but not no, learn I, your staff. We, but we I are, love the idea that you were already involved. Yeah. So yes. You you did not come in cold. No. And you also bring um, the experiences with the other um, healthcare providers. So you've been involved in healthcare. You yeah. understand the game. You understand. I'm sure you already had some thoughts about us. I'm sure there's other conversations. Um, it's one of the biggest healthcare battles that have been ongoing is us and the anesthesiologist. Oh, yeah. So I know everybody sits back with their popcorn and watches. Um, and so thank you for being brave enough to step in. Oh, well, I I, I'm looking, like I said, I'm, you know, my last name's Bobcat. It's, um, I'm ready for I a like fight. It. So, yes. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot of listeners out there. What is a message you would like to get across to our listeners? The most important thing, or have I put you on the spot? I would say again, you know, we need to move forward with confidence. We're not just, we are not just proving. We are. Mm -hmm. um, And we are healthcare providers. We are competent healthcare providers. We are experienced healthcare providers. And we need to put our, you know, basically held our heads high and walk into offices and be like, no, it's, we're done. We're done with trying to explain who we are. It's your turn now to tell us why not.
Yeah. And I think we just have to start a bold new world of, of really just being, um, you know, a little bit more on the offensive. So. Why patients shouldn't have better access yeah. to care. Why patients explain, shouldn't. Explain to me. Ooh, and I think that's, that's the VA. Why, why are you preventing yeah. those sh- soldiers from being, uh, from getting care from yeah. the leaders who kept them alive to bring them here? Oh, <sighs> makes <sighs> <laughs> you know, if it, if their message was consistent all the way through, if the anesthesiologist had to supervise on the battlefield, you know, then they're being consistent. Yeah. But the overwhelming redundancy locally and the change in messaging back and forth is is uncomfortable. And, and it's unconscionable, personally. But Well, I do think that it's changing. Tracy and I have been around just just a little bit just a minute or two and it the conversations have changed over the years and i i'm gonna we're gonna see this in our careers i think maybe (laughs) i think i would like to see a more um you know because i think for the most part boots on the ground i think we all work well together oh this is all conversation that happens Somewhere you know, else. Not, somewhere else. Not it doesn't at happen bedside. at the bedside. You know, Never. we all give good care. We're all, we're all at the bedside um, ensuring that our patients received good care. So if anybody's listening who's not a CRNA, I mean, there, there should be concern that way. This is not the... It's political. It is. It's, it really is political. It, it's it's political. not action. Well, what would you say, speaking of the term political, because you will hear from nurses, from CRNAs, I hate politics. I mean, everything in the whole world is about politics. But what would you say to those people? I don't want to get involved. I hate politics. I would just say that if you don't get involved and if you don't call your member of Congress, if you don't, then, you know, you can't be complaining about how um, your work situation, your reimbursement rates and everything else. Um, Because if you're not speaking up, then um, the other side's going to win. And so I think everybody needs to speak up and and let their voices be heard because the other side is speaking up and they're speaking up very loudly. Um, And so it's really about our voices, amplifying our voices, getting our patients and and our families and our friends to all tell Congress to to move and to start doing the right thing. I would tell them to write a bigger check then so that the person who is representing them can get in the door. Yes. Well, you know, I've always said, if you're not telling your story, somebody Mm -hmm. else is telling it for you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And just as a sidebar, our lobbyists that we have in North Carolina, one of our lobbyists, we have several because it's an ongoing battle state. Um, I visited him Gosh, it must have been the year 2000 or 2001. I, uh, 2000, I was the rising president of our state organization. And he was firmly in the other camp. And he obviously lobbies for us now. And I asked him, what changed that for you? And he said, no CRNA had ever come to visit me before you came to visit me. I had only heard one side of the story. Mm. And that's what it is. I mean, I think sometimes we we create a narrative in our heads about members of Congress, whether they be at state or local, just because they may not be the party that we prefer. Right. And then it's like, nope, we're not going to do that. We, you know, quick story. When I worked with the speech language pathologist, we had an audiologist who kept going into an office saying, he's never going to do anything. He's never going to do anything. And, and it was his legislative director changed and they had a new legislative director 
and all of a sudden they started hearing stories of how this member's brother was in the uh, was a veteran who had lost his hearing and all of a sudden this member who was never going to do anything mm-hmm. became the became chairman personal. of one of the you know a hearing caucus for us and it right. became personal and so the stories the personal stories the connections and and not being afraid to go and ask i mean the worst thing they can say is no but if you don't go into an office and you don't ask you'll never know that's true um, along those same lines, um, we had our now senator of North Carolina had been the speaker of of our house um, before he moved up to the congressional level, and he was really not our friend at the state level. And so, I whenever he got elected, I was the rising president. I wanted to go to his office, and they said, "Oh no." You know, he's not, I said, I'm going to go, I'm going anyway. And he had a legislative assistant that was firmly in our camp, even though she had worked in another office where she had not, she, her member had not been in our camp. She was. And then she moved to this office and he wound up being on the veterans committee and being one of our biggest advocates, Mm -hmm. the senator and you know you never know you never know never know you never know and so uh, you know, outside of what i call the deer head rule if you walk into their office and you see a deer head hanging on the wall don't advocate for gun control <laughs> it's not happening right <laughs> but other than that you never know how that story or that paradigm is going to change someday. Which, you know, again, going back to building our benches with, you know, I mean, it all kind of comes back to of we do have to have a longer bench. We just can't always rely on our mm-hmm. our champions. And so with you all going in and visiting, um, you're helping us to really create a larger group of supporters that we can go to. Um, and it's, I mean, I will say, I mean, like the ICANN Act, um, mm-hmm. We had, um, it was bipartisan. I think it was, you know, with with a robust co-sponsor list. Um, and we had members from the Energy and Commerce Committee, Ways and Means, which is the Committees of Jurisdiction. And there were people that wanted to sign on. And it wasn't that hard mm-hmm. of a lift. And that's mm-hmm. because people have been talking about it. People are seeing, they're hearing the stories. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we are getting, you know, the, the, the st- our stories coming slowly, but surely. But it is very promising when you're not having to beg a member of Congress to sign on to something that before, perhaps the medical community would have been like, they would be like, oh, no, you know, AMA is right. going to, you know, or some other yeah, group is going to come after me. me. And they were like, nope, we got to do this. So I think there's some, there's a glimmer of hope moving forward. I love hope. Oh, yes. Been looking for it for a long time. So any last concluding remarks before we wrap this up? I look forward to representing um, the CRNAs, and uh, we've talked about it before, but, you know, take action, get to know your members of Congress, commit to the PAC, um, and also work with your political party that you most affiliate with, because, you know, you, you, you know that's the way that you're going to start to gain your own political creds in case mm-hmm. you want to start moving forward um, in any type of a political position or um, appointed positions moving forward. Oh, yeah. great stuff. Oh, good stuff. Well, Thank you so much for joining us joining us today. Thank you for joining the AANA and welcome. Thank you. And I can't wait to see you tomorrow night. Uh, our uh, pack parties are the stuff that legends are made of. Well, they used to be. Hopefully they still are. <laughs> 
they they still will be. Yes. I, we, I still miss the packed boat cruise. Oh, my God. You get a bunch of CRNAs Although we will not miss it tomorrow night because it's no. going to be miserable. We've done yeah. the, the wet pack Actually, cruise. <laughs> you and I met after the pack cruise in da-da-da-da-da year. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yes, we did. So, but thank you for everything <laughs> thank that you. you have done. And thank you for what you will done. We love what we're hearing. And uh, so I guess that's a wrap. But thanks for listening to Beyond the Mass with the absent Jeremy Stanley, myself, Sharon Pierce, and guest co-host, Tracy Castleman. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Tracy, can you tell our listeners how they can help us grow? The best way to help us is to like the show, especially me as the guest (laughs) co-host. Share it on social media, tell your friends, and leave a review. But please make it positive. As Jeremy says, we all know there's enough negativity in the world. And Beyond the Mask is in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country and number one in the CRNA community. Thank you to our listeners. Until the next time. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.